Jess and I, Jess, my wife, and I bought uh, our first house, and it was a foreclosure. It was a great house, great property, and, and when we got it, it was surrounded by a lot of overgrowth, to say the least. Uh, there was a VW bus in the backyard that had trees growing up through the middle of it. I'd have been there for so long that like rotted into the ground, had to have a tractor come and pull it out. Uh, there were a lot of shrubs all over the house that needed to be dealt with. And along the one side of the house, there were these evergreens of some sort, and uh, we wanted to get rid of them. And, and I chopped off the top of them at one point just to start to, you know, the death process, right? And, um, and eventually, you know, they're, they're dead, and there's just these stumps sticking out of the ground. And we're like, we got to get rid of these things. We got to dig them out so we can plant other things here. And so I gave it a ton of energy trying to dig these things out. Uh, I had a, Honda, a 1990 Honda Civic wagon, right? And uh, I loved my Honda Civic wagon. And so I hooked a, a, a rope around the stump and around the, the axle of the, of the Honda with its little like lawnmower engine and like nothing, like could not get this thing out of the ground trying to pull it out and spent a ton of energy and it completely humbled me and frustrated me. And, and finally, what I had to do was really just dig the thing out and keep digging and digging and get an ax out and just start hacking at the roots to pull this thing out and do the hard work so, uh, that, so that we could eventually plant something better there, right? So that we, I think, I forget what we planted, maybe roses on that side of the house. I forget, just could tell you because I'm probably wrong. Um, today, what I want to talk about in this kind of third part of this first part of the, the series of James is, is the, the idea that there's work to be done in the Christian life. There's some uprooting that needs to happen so that the implanting of the gospel can actually take root. So that gospel growth can be energized and, and, and cause it and, and bring it to bear and, and see fruit to come out of it. And so if you've been here over the last couple of weeks or you've watched online or, or, or not, I'm, I'll try to catch us up quickly. But the first week we talked about trials, right? Count it all joy when you go through sufferings of, of various kinds, James says. And we talked about how when we go through suffering, God can use it if we allow him to, to redeem us, to mature us, and to remind us of our ultimate hope, which is the resurrection someday. The hope of eternity, um, the quality and the quantity of eternity with Jesus. And then we talked about temptations, about how it's not God, when, he, when these trials come into our lives, it's not God tempting us. He can't be tempted. He's not evil. And we're called to endure, right? And, and we're and called to, to endure in the power of the new birth rather than giving into the flesh. And if you remember, the thing I wanted us to really focus on was that the, the opposite of temptation is not purity. The opposite of temptation is actually faith. All right, so I want to sort of drill down a little bit more on that today to sort of, like I said, wrap up this first sort of three parts of the book of James. And what we're going to talk about today is, is actually producing fruit, the, the doing of things versus just hearing that James warns us about. And so in this talk today and, and what we're going to see in this, these couple of verses in James is that there's a warning and there's an encouragement. There's a, there's a pretty stern warning towards the religious, towards the self-righteous. And, and, and to not just consume religion, which we all have a tendency to do, to not just consume religion, but to actually receive the gospel. And the encouragement that comes after the warning is this, this idea that the gospel actually energizes us to be doers of the word, to, to produce good fruit, energized by the gospel, that the fruit of transformation is something that can come out of us. 
And so if you want to write something down or you, you want to just sort of you know, lock in on something, it's this idea that consuming religion, just the consumption of religious goods, whether it's church, whether it's just reading scriptures in an empty way, whether it's just going through the motions, consuming religion deceives us into apathy and self-righteousness. But allowing the gospel, receiving the gospel, and allowing it to be implanted in our souls actually energizes us to produce fruit. It energizes us to go and do the work. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to James 1. We'll be in verse uh, 19 to 27. So James has just come through telling these good churchgoers, these, these good Christians there in the early church to, to, to endure suffering, to not give in during temptation. And then he says this in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. All right brief little input here. They didn't really have mirrors as good as we do today. It was like shiny pieces of metal of some sort that they would look at and see some sort of vague image of themselves, all right? So you can kind of have that in mind. He says, uh, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone who's looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Two quick things, the beginning of that section and the end. The beginning of that section, he's talking about being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. We're gonna, this is where James starts to get into the idea of controlling your tongue, controlling what you say and how you speak. And we're going to cover that in a couple weeks. So I'm going to sort of put a little bit of that to the side. And at the end, he talks about pure and faultless religion being caring for widows and orphans and the poor, people that can't do anything for you in return. And we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks as well. So I, I just want you to know we will get to those things. They're key to what James is calling these churchgoers uh, to be a part of. But today, I want to get into this idea of the warning for the religious and the encouragement towards gospel energy, right? All right, so the warning, consuming religion deceives us. This idea of deception is something that James is very cognizant of, and he talks about it over and over again. Don't be deceived. Be single-minded, right? So he says, consuming religion deceives us. Now, I want you to just think with me, please, about the context of the people he's writing to. Good churchgoers. People who were reading their scriptures. People who were in a church community group of some sort. Does that cover any of us in this room? Most of us, 
right? Good churchgoers, we're here, we're connecting with one another, we're reading our Bibles, we're praying, we're doing the things, right? We might even be caring for the poor, we're doing, we're doing the things. This, this is the context of the people that he is writing to. It's similar to ours. And there's two errors that he points out for them that are wrapped up in this warning about just consuming religion rather than embracing the gospel. These, the, the, the first one is human anger, lashing out. Allowing yourself to just fully vent, right? Words to just come out in an angry way. Not controlling the tongue. Look at 19 again. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Or in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue... His religion is useless and he deceives himself. So he's calling them to, re- to restrain themselves from, from acting out in anger and just letting this, this lashing out happen out of their, you know, just coming out of their spirit, right? And we don't know if this is anger at one another. We see there's some tension between the rich and the poor in this church. We don't know if this is anger towards God because he's allowing these trials to come to be in their lives, But whether it's interpersonal or with its God, either way, anger, lashing out, this this furious energy doesn't produce right behavior. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God, he says. So I have a question for you. When was the last time that your anger actually changed the situation for the better? Where you allowed yourself... Just be really angry about it. Did it actually fix the situation? Did it actually lead you to a place of peace? See, I think anger is sort of like a boiling pot. We take the top off and we let it, we let it out, but it doesn't actually remove the heat underneath, right? It doesn't actually deal with the underlying problem. It doesn't deal with the root, all right? So the second part of this is that an angry person or a venting, talking person is not typically a listening person to God or to others. And James is warning these good churchgoers, if you're just sitting in your anger and you're letting this thing just come flying out of you, it's not actually producing the righteousness of God, the right behavior, the proper loving behavior. So error number one, he's calling these religious people to, to be warned about is human anger. The second would be hearing and forgetting. Or hearing and not doing. Hearing and just walking away. Have you, ever, have you ever left the house and told someone, hey, can you do this while we're gone? And that person says, yes. And you come home and it's not done. It's happened in our house. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's happened in your house. Thank you. Thank you, Angela. Thank you. Maybe it's happened in your house. Maybe you've done that. Maybe your spouse was like, hey, can you take care of this thing? You're like, yeah, Totally. And you come home and you're like, oh no, <laughs> I forgot to do that thing. You're hearing and not doing. Hearing and forgetting. Does it actually matter if you heard it in the first place if you didn't actually do it, right? That's really what's behind that. And so James is warning them of, of not just being angry. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Not, not just to be hearers, but to actually be doers. And the warning in this for them is these good churchgoers, these Bible reading people, these community group attending people, is that they're, 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 being, they're, they're being embraced and wrapped around by religion. 
But this, this religious behavior is deceiving them. And it deceives us too. These good churchgoers are becoming self-righteous. Thinking my anger, my anger will fix this situation. And then it'll make everything all better. I'm the righteous one. I'm allowed to be angry and just lash out and it will fix everything. They're consuming the religious products. They're reading their bulletins well. They're paying attention to the notes from the pastor. They're doing their good deeds. But they're not actually hearing the gospel, letting it change them from the inside out, transforming them to be loving people. It's this dead religion, James goes on to say. And it's this anger that deceives us into thinking, I've got it all together. I'm the one with the answers. If everyone would just listen to me, everything would be good. I'm going to lash out in anger. Or the hearing but the not doing means they're coming to church. They're hearing the preaching. They're hearing the word, but then they don't go out and actually do it. They're thinking, I'm fine. I'm good as I am. I'm not the problem. It's everybody else that's the problem. They should, they should listen to this. Have I got a sermon for you? Right? It's this self-righteousness that starts to come over. It's, it's us putting ourselves on the throne, and he's warning them, don't do that. Just consuming religion in that way does not produce the full life, does not produce the righteousness of God. And friends, I, I, like, I can't say it enough. We all do it, myself included. So I'm not preaching at you. I'm warning all of us. Together, we have a tendency to do this, to come on a Sunday and think, I heard the word, I'm good. And by Wednesday, it's like it's meaningless. We don't do anything with it. And James is warning them about that. See, we think we are righteous and we think we're in good shape, but we fail to reach the goal, which is to becoming people who are truly lovers of God and of others. We're not actually being transformed, but instead we are frustrated in our suffering. We're giving in to temptation. And this is why so many Christians, yourselves included sometimes, myself included sometimes, are stuck in our sin, stuck in our patterns, stuck in our ways. And we say, God, why aren't you fixing this? I'm going to church. I'm doing the things. Fix it. There's, there's, a, there's a gap there of some sort. We're stuck in religion of some sort. And so our warning at Hope Alliance, whether you come to Hope Alliance Nazareth or the Hope Alliance Bethlehem, all the time is that religion, religious behavior actually enslaves. It enslaves us to hypocrisy and thinking the problem's out there, it's not with me. Religion has no power over sin to actually uproot it out of our lives. It means we don't change, we're not transformed. It means we're always, religion is always trying to impress God and make him happy with us. And then if we, you know, rub the lamp the right way, then maybe God will come out like a genie and just fix everything. This is why so many churchgoers, you and me included at times, are still stuck in anger and stuck in sin and, 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 and can't get through suffering with perseverance and because we're actually just wrapped up in religion. This is warning to this church, and it's my warning and exhortation to you today as the congregation of Hope Nazareth. So are you struggling to be loving, to be a person of, of gentleness, of kindness, of peace, and having that come out of you? Are you giving in to temptation regularly, despite being a church, you know, three out of four times a month? Do you find that going to church makes no difference in your actual life? 
perhaps it's just a religious behavior and it's not actually a gospel transformation that's taking place in your life yet. So he gives these great warnings about these, these errors of anger and self-righteousness and, and hearing and not doing, and then he goes on to this encouragement, all right? And so this is where I really want to bring the gospel home for us and what he's after here in transformation. There's this encouragement that receiving the gospel, the implanted word, actually energizes us to be doers. Gospel first, and an energy that motivates us. The, 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 the old timers in the church would call it the, the unction of the Holy Spirit that drives us to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. So the gospel encourages us and energizes us. Uh, I want to read a couple verses here again. Verse 21, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This is encouragement number one, okay? Receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That's a good thing. Your soul's being saved. And as I preach all the time, this is not just a future salvation. It's an ongoing salvation now. A saving from our flesh, from giving in to sin, giving in to temptation, right? It's, it's an ongoing salvation now and forever. And he says what? Receive it. The word, the word there, when you really get into it, it's like, it's like welcome it. Wrap your arms around it and just bring it in tightly and say, I want this. I'm welcoming this into my life. But if you notice, what he's saying to receive is something in the past tense. Receive the implanted word. It's already been done. Welcome it. So know that this, the gospel comes first. The salvation, that, that, that conversion moment, that thing when the spirit comes into us happens first. And then James joining Paul says, receive it, welcome it warmly, embrace it, bring it in for a tight hug and say, I want this in my life. This thing that's already been implanted, like a, like a grafting in. There, last week when he's talking about the baby that's being conceived, he's saying like, welcome this thing in and it will produce something in you, which is able to save, which is an ongoing, but with something with finality, being saved, right? Now and for eternity. Saving us from death, the dying now, falling for the tricks of the father of lies, like I talked about last week, and the salvation in the future when we are brought into the fullness of the new heavens and new earth. He's saying, receive that, welcome it in. And then he goes on in verse 25. We have you know, this encouragement to receive this implanted thing because it's going to do something new inside of us. And then in verse 25, he says, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom, or later on he says the, the royal law, the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what? He does. A doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. This is basically like James is, is straight up, I think, quoting Jesus here from uh, it's in Luke 11 where Jesus says, you know, blessed is the one who hears the word of God and does it. I mean, he's directly quoting him here, his brother. A doer who works, this person, this man, this woman will be blessed in what he does. Blessed meaning happy significantly joyful, happy, content with what God's doing because they're doing the work. All right, so 
you hear us talk all the time about not being about works, right? Religion is just about works. The gospel is about something different. Like it's not, it's about freedom. It's not about works. This is like the crux of James's argument that we will get into in a couple weeks of faith versus works. I think there's a false argument there based on Pauline theology, but like we'll get to that in a couple weeks. So if you're curious about that, how those things work together, come back for more. We're going to talk a little bit about the works today first though. He's saying, let the energy of the gospel move you. Let it empower you. Let it encourage you towards being a doer who works through partnering with the spirit. Paul talks about this regularly, right? The spirit is doing these things. Keep in step with the spirit. Sow to the spirit, right? Instead of sowing seeds to the flesh, sow seeds to what the spirit is doing. And and what began as choices turns into a character after a while, that you're lining up with the spirit and it becomes easier and easier the more you persevere in this way of life. But he's saying it starts with welcoming this implanted word, this gospel that energizes us towards being doers who don't just hear, but we go out and we allow it to transform our lives because we're willing to start doing the work of walking in the spirit. It's implanted, welcome it, embrace it, but feed it as it were by walking in the spirit. I want to talk about that as I wrap up here. Religion enslaves. It deceives us into self-righteousness. And that's why so many Christians are untransformed. That's why so many Christians live empty lives, chasing what the world says needs to be chased. But the gospel, the gospel energizes us to be people who are doers of the word, not hearers only. So that what we hear on Sunday, what we hear in community group, what we hear in the scriptures actually encourages us and energizes us to go and be transformed people the other six days of the week, to actually live full lives, to be fully developed human beings who are lovers of God and lovers of other people. The gospel energizes us to be doers. Friends, this is what this means. You can actually change. You can actually be transformed. Not by religion, not by rubbing the lamp, hoping that, that the genie will pop out and just fix your problems, but you can be transformed when you allow the gospel to be rooted in you and start to produce this fruit when you walk alongside with the spirit. Friends, that's freedom. You already have it. It's already been deposited in us by the Holy Spirit. And the freedom becomes, over time, fuller and fuller where we realize I no longer have to be this religious person. I no longer have to be stuck in that sin. I no longer have to sow seeds to the flesh. I can actually sow seeds to the spirit and see growth happen. So if you've come to the end of yourself, good. If you're here this morning saying, I I can't do it anymore. Praise God, that's right where you need to be. That's the gospel. Receive it again this morning that Jesus says, I love you. I love you. I want freedom for you. I want full life for you, and I will walk with you in it, in producing it in your life. Receive the Spirit today, maybe in a new way. Maybe you've never done that before. Just ask the Spirit to come and say, I need you. I can't make this happen on my own. I repent. Just come into my life and breathe new life into me. And motivated by the gospel, instead of legalism or instead of religion, we then work towards the transformation that the Spirit has started. We partner with him in going forward in sowing seeds that lead to full life and full character. Friends, God is not angry with you. It's a story of scripture that God loves you and wants a relationship with you. That God wants full life for you. And he knows the full life is found in worshiping him and being a lover of him and lover of other people. 
That's the fullness of what it means to be truly human. Look at Jesus. He wants your best. And it's found in loving him and loving others. Motivated by the gospel. Not religious legalism or trying to impress God. So if you have those sheets, if you have them at home, hopefully you printed it out at the start of the talk. I don't know. You can click on it and look at it. I just want to work through this a little bit. So we don't want to be religious. We don't want to be self-righteous thinking we can just do this all on our own or thinking that we're great and we don't need to do anything. We want to walk motivated by the gospel to be doers, to actually apply the things that we soak in week in and week out when we come here, when we come to community group or we do our personal spiritual disciplines. So going back to the shrub analogy, right, from the very beginning when I started talking, there's, been a, there's a new life that wants to be planted there. But there's those dead roots underneath that need to be dug out. All right? The new life is available. Jesus, this is a gospel, right? He's saying you can have this. But there's also this, the remnant of the old man, the old woman, the flesh in there Paul talks about. And we need to root it out. And so when you, when you root it out, good fruit starts to come. So if you look at the left side of this thing, you can see at the top, this is, these are weird, like, robotic-looking trees. I don't know what this is about. Instead of looking like fruit, they kind of look like the holy hand grenade to me. But anyway, there's this, this fruit of the, on the tree on the left is the desire for control. There's the fruit of fear, the fruit of anxiety, the fruit of, of worry. Put anything in there, the fruit of of lust, the fruit of, you know, anger, the, the fruit of greed, whatever. Put, put anything you want over there. These are the fruits of the flesh. And they have deep roots that need to be addressed. So in, in humility and with gospel-motivated joy, and because the Spirit has opened our eyes to see the transformation is possible, And through the energy that the Spirit gives us, let the gospel reveal the roots that need to be ripped out in your life. So, moment of transparency. Yesterday, I had a crappy day. Not going to lie. Some of you who saw me may have picked up on that when I was like, I just need to be alone. I apologize to my family for the crappy day that I had. I've been being a pretty gentle person over the last six months, and I'm like happy with the transformation that God's doing in my life. Yesterday, not so much. Just a bad day. I don't know why. I woke up ticked. Don't know why. Hormones? I don't know. I have no idea. Just in a bad mood. It was a great week. Just in a bad mood. It didn't matter what happened. Everything irritated me. The dog, the kids, the guy at the stop sign, the Parkland game, mm, like whatever. Like it just, it just, it was irritating, right? Okay. So it just, it just brought this thing out of me. And last night I'm laying in bed and this morning I'm laying in bed. Instead of beating myself up over it, I'm going, okay, God, what's the root of that? What was happening in there? It's not the kids. It's not Jess. It's not the dog. It's not the guy at the stop sign. Like, like some things were like worthy to be angry at, but like, like what the heck was going on at the root level, Right? And so I think part of it is a desire for control. But wrapped up in that is self-righteousness that says, I can't trust God. I need to be in control of all of it. And it's not going my way, so I'm going to freak out. It just happens, right? There's a fear. Had a kid going away to college. I mean, the first conversation we had was about money. 
Okay. Fear, we're going to have enough, right? Starts to come out of my saying, is God going to provide for us? Is God really good? You hear the lies of the enemy in there and the lies of the flesh. Is God really trustworthy? So this is why you got to take time after your sinful falling to say, okay, God, what was the root of that? What the heck happened there? Not by religion, not saying oh, I need to beat myself up so God's happy with me, saying God is happy for me and wants my joy. And he's saying, get to the root of the problem. There's a lie underneath there somewhere. Let the implanted word start to do its work. Stare into the perfect law that gives freedom, he says. The law that gives freedom. Freedom from slavery to sin or freedom to just like let the world go. It's God's problem. I need to do that regularly. Reflect on the patterns of sin in your life. Those same situations, like I guarantee you, you probably only have like five things that they just come out in lots of different ways. Maybe you're more sanctified than me. Maybe it's like two things. I don't know. I got like 10 things. They, they just come out and they produce these ugly fruit that you see on that fruits of the flesh on the left there. To so reflect on the patterns in your life, the sinful things that you stumble into and say, what is the root underneath there? And so you can see that, you know, the, 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 the lack of joy. Uh, wait a minute. Those are the wrong way. Look at your paper. Your paper's the better one. Look at that. Gosh. Enneagram one. I'm freaking out right now. Ah! Okay. The root of that is a desire for control. Okay. So, so you see these, these fruits that are coming out. Desire for control, fear, anxiety. You start to work down, right? Well, where's that coming from? Well, who am I? The lie that we're believing is I'm not in control, but I believe I have to be. Well, what does that say about what God has done? I believe he has stopped loving me. I believe he has lost control of what's going on with our children, and he's abandoned me. Well, then who's God? He's unloving. He's impotent or unpowerful. He is absent. The fruit's all coming out of that root down there that God is not controlled, not in control. He's not loving. He's not good. He's absent. He's powerless. So we need to rip those things out. And friends, there is no, I have found no more powerful way to rip out the roots of sin in my life than public confession. And we don't do that as an American church. We're just like not fans. And, and man, the Catholic church like had it nailed for years and then they put up the little barrier between you and the priest and it was like this, uh, what is it when you're unknown? Anyway, yeah, Anonymous. Thank you. There it is. But the concept's right. We need public confession. We need to be able to bring it into the light in the power of the body and the power of the body to speak the truth of forgiveness back to you on behalf of Jesus and say, you're loved, you're forgiven. It's in the light. The devil can't control it when it comes into the light. We need to confess it to ourselves. Yes, we need to confess it to God, but I'm telling you the most powerful form of confession is one to another. There's just something that God does through that. So this is why James says, rid yourself of this. Throw it off, Paul says. Confess that this is the old man and say, I don't want this anymore. And we have to identify it and rip it out. Not to win God over, but confessing the sin of unbelief, which is ultimately what all of those things are, is a form of unbelief. It's believing something not true about God. 
or not believing something that is true about God. And when you do that, gospel's already true, already saved. But when you start doing this work of ripping out these old roots, you can start to allow the implanted word to start to graft in right there in that spot instead. That new thing starts to grow. So what that has meant for me in my life this week, okay, is saying, you know, I was, I was tempted uh, this week to look down on someone, like to just like from this place of like, I'm so great and they're a loser. Like literally, like that's what's going on in my head. And I'm like, okay, what's, what's the truth of this? Well, we're all children of God, right? Take that from Romans 8, take that from Genesis, like wherever you want to take that from. And I have to speak truth to that. And when that temptation comes up to my, to my ears again, to my brain again, I'm going to say, no, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Like, humble, humble yourself and speak truth to it. So to, we have to receive the implanted word and plant new things there. We rip these old things out and plant these new things in their place. So this is why he says, stare into the scriptures. Look at it for a long time and, and ask the questions. Okay, as I read my Bible, who is God in this passage? Who am I? What has God done? And start to speak that truth to yourself. This is why we confess to others and allow them to speak that truth to us. And it starts to cause this, these new roots to grow. And new sap starts coming into the tree, right? New, new life starts coming into the tree so that what you get on the left, right, is fruits of the spirit that start to come out. Peace, joy, love, gentleness, self-control, right? These things start to come out of us. Maybe you need times of listening prayer, of just being quiet, saying, Spirit, speak to me. This morning as I was praying, God gave me this, this word picture that was important for me this morning to be able to get up here and do this. God still speaks today. Run it back through the grid of scripture. If he says, you know, like, go do something heinous, you'll know. That's not Jesus, right? Run it through scripture. Scripture's the authority. Run it through the community if you need to, to say, does this sound like Jesus? But allow him to encourage you through prayer, through scripture, through being in community. And then you make plans for how to combat those roots that keep trying to regrow in your life. And say, I'm going to speak this truth to this. And I'm going to speak scripture to this one. And the spirit gave me a word for this one. And I'm going to speak to it. And the end result is this fruit, this good fruit starts to come out. So the opposite of this one is if you repent and move to this place of confession of faith, we say, who is God first? He is love. He is powerful and in control. He is present, which then leads me to say, well, what has God done? If that's who he is, what's he done? Jesus died for me. He rose again from the dead. I have the spirit of God in me. Romans 8, right? Well, if that's what God's done, who am I? What's my new identity? I'm loved. I'm not alone. More Romans 8. I'm more than a conqueror through him, which enables you in the midst of that crazy situation that wants to just bring out of you. You can reject that fleshly thing and say, no, no, no. God's in control. I don't need to freak out and own this myself and allow it start to produce this fruit inside of you. And when that happens, I took this quote from Live No Lies. These choices, what began as choices becomes character. Over time, you realize you don't even have to fight that one thing anymore. It's just dead completely. Praise God. You can look back five years ago and say, man, so glad I'm not struggling with that anymore. But in the grace of God, he's also like, yeah, we got this thing now too. Okay, and then you can experience full life in that when you got to start uprooting that thing. You get to celebrate the fruit and it enables you to just more and more readily move into that area of, of fruit, all motivated by gospel energy. Already been purchased for you. Nothing that you need to earn through religion or legalism. We just get to celebrate the fruit 
of the gospel. Paul says something uh, in Romans that I just love, and I want to close with this just as an encouragement. Paul says this, Romans 6, verse 7. He says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Again, there's that word, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Friends, energized by the gospel, we can fight the good fight of faith and uproot these sinful habits and these, these areas of brokenness in our lives. We can celebrate with one another. We can confess to one another. We can actually experience full life. We can actually leave church on Sunday and on Wednesday say, ah, I'm still applying the gospel. I'm not just a hearer, but I'm actually a doer because of the strength of Christ in me. Walking side by side with the spirit, moving in the flow of the spirit in your life. And the end result is joy. The end result is peace. The end result is contentment in Jesus and being a lover of God and a lover of people. Man, that's what it means to be fully human. That's what it means to be fully alive now and for eternity. My prayer is that we will be those kind of people who are willing to confess to one another, preach the gospel to those areas and those, those, those bad roots of sin and flesh and, and pull them out and replace them with truth so that we can see the fruit of God in our lives. Friends, don't be consumers of religion. That's my warning. Don't be a consumer of religion. It doesn't do anything. It just leads to hypocrisy and self-righteousness and emptiness. Embrace the gospel. Welcome the implanted word with open arms into your life and let it be grafted in. Let's pray.